Welcome back to the Deeper Cut Podcast, a uh, podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. I am Tim Pasek, uh, Rolling Elder at Mercy Hill. I'm glad to be with you again today. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and our pastor, Phil Henry. How Phil, doing, how Tim? are you? I'm how well. are you? <laughs> I'm good, too. Good. I'm glad to be here. Me, too. In our studio slash your study for uh, another podcast episode. And we are joined this morning by two very special guests. Phil, I was wondering if you would do the honor of welcoming our guests and introducing them. I would. We have been joined this morning by my mother, Sally Giancola. Welcome, Mom. Thank you. Welcome to Pittman. Welcome to Pittman. Um, She's recently relocated to uh, beautiful uh, Pittman, New Jersey from Southern California. (laughs) Not so beautiful Southern California. Um, perhaps today it's it's the opposite. I, I don't know what it is in Camarillo today. But 60. It's, yeah, it's mm. not 24 degrees. Mm-mm. And then also in the studio this this morning is my number two son, Noah Henry. Welcome, yep. Noah. Thank you. Thank Home you. from college, Colorado Christian. Just for a little bit. Yeah. Number two, not in terms of priority, just in terms of birth order. Birth order. Birth order. <laughs> yes. Let's, some, let's some, be clear. Some would argue priority, yeah. <laughs> well, there, there's a... The children play a game with my wife's phone where they put in to her address book, my favorite daughter or my favorite son or whatever. And it just, so it's kind of a, a running joke. Who's the favorite? I'm your favorite, aren't I, Mom? That was like what number on the speed dial you were? You <laughs> Something know, like that. Tells you how important you are. We were sort of like that as the babies were born. You know, we just loved Lydia to death. And then came Fitch. You could not say that anymore. You know, if somebody whispered in my ear, you can't say she's your favorite. Right. Right. So it's a, it's a kind of a, a, a multi-generational podcast, Tim. I'm feeling a little left out, but that's okay. You can I'm, be my, I'm, I'm you, honored to be here. You could be my son. <laughs> Thank you. So um, we have a, a full a full show on, on tap for you today. Phil, you preached on Psalm 48 yesterday from our pulpit. Um, I would uh, encourage all of our listeners to go check out uh, the recording of that sermon. It's already posted on our website and on our other podcast channel. Phil, maybe you could just spend a quick 60 seconds and give a quick recap of uh, your points and kind of the the main thrust of the message just to set us up this morning. Sure. Well, Psalm 48 is a a Zion Psalm, and there's a handful of these in the scriptures. As you pointed out, there's actually a, a little mini sequence of Zion Psalms in 46, 47, and 48. Hmm. And uh, John Choi, we we talked about John's message last week, but he preached on Psalm 46, Luther's Psalm. But I wanted to uh, round off the series, and this is kind of the last. Uh, major psalm in the series the psalms of my life with the zion psalm at christmas so psalm 48 and uh, zion in the bible is a 
picture on earth of the perfect community of God's people in heaven. And so um, Psalm 48 gives us that picture in, in a number of ways. I think I said it's, it's the perfect city was the title of the message. Who lives there? Um, or where is it? Who's in it? And what are the responsibilities of its citizens? Right. I remembered my points, Tim. <laughs> you didn't even have your manuscript. No, in front of you. I wasn't even looking. <laughs> which, which actually is is a kind of you know sometimes we talk uh, sermon craft. It's to keep it simple, it, and yet still present the truth of God and its all of its uh, richness is is the challenge of every sermon and. I think that the outline was sufficiently simple to for people to access. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you you, um, you received some feedback already that it was a, a good, direct, concise mm-hmm. um, sermon, and I would yeah. agree with that. So again, I'd encourage if you haven't listened to it, go hit pause right now and and go listen to the sermon, then and come back. Um, and you can hear what we uh, what we talk about this morning. I was thinking, uh, Phil, since we have multiple generations of of your family in the room, you did mention um, kind of a generational aspect or a point in your sermon yesterday, in yeah. verse um, twelve and thirteen. Maybe we could start there. Sure, that seems good spot. appropriate to do that. Once you read the text and. Um Yeah, so verse 12, Psalm 48. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm in pastoral ministry in part because of my... uh, um, I mean, ultimately, it's God's call in my life, which no one can manufacture it. That doesn't come genealogically or uh, biologically. But uh, my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, one of the, we have a picture here of great-grandparents on my wall. Uh, Doc Pollard was a minister. <coughs> born I think in 1893 so I'm the recipient of people who did that Um, probably in my life more by example than by kind of catechizing or actual verbal instruction but I had both and um, maybe the single greatest influence that my mother, who's with us today, and her mother had on my life is a determined commitment to the church, to Christ Church, to the visit to a church down the street, and to the pastor of the church. And uh, week after week, month after month, year after year, without fail. Um, I mean, you know, no parent is perfect, and I, you know. I, I have imperfect parents as well, but 
my parents showed me the value of the church by the way that they prioritized church growing up. Hmm. And in particular, the pastor of the church. So I got to see uh, week after week, month after month, that being a pastor was something that people cared about. And it never occurred to me to be a pastor until later in my life, but I knew that one of the jobs of a Christian was to not just be a, a bench warmer or second stringer, but to be somebody who was uh, moved to the front of the line in his or her commitment to the, to the body of Christ. Someone who made a difference. Now, when you're 15 or 16 and your parents make you go to youth group, <laughs> that's no fun. Um, but, you know, Philip, we need to set an example. Okay, I guess that's what we're doing here. So uh, later in life, uh, if there's any teenagers listening, you know, later in life, those lessons that your parents impress upon you as a teen do, do come to godly fruition in, in many cases, not in all cases. So that's, that's uh, uh, coming from my parents. Mom, I want to, maybe you can comment on some of that story. I know I've shared some of that with you before. Uh, I don't know whether I've ever told you this, but when you called uh, as you were teaching school in Monroeville? Monrovia. Monrovia, yeah. Indiana, and said, we have decided that I'm going to go to seminary. And I went, I sort of shrugged my shoulders and said, I'm not surprised. Mm -hmm. I do remember that. As I had been praying for you for a long time, that God would touch your life and you would sort of like the story of, of um, Eli and... Samuel? Samuel. Um, so we are, I am gratified that your heart was sensitive to be able to answer that call. And even after that, we, did, we had discussed the opportunities to go in to, be, to teach <laughs> because you're, you're really a good teacher. But you were firm in your belief that God was calling you to the pastorate. Hmm. And that kind of teaching is perhaps more important to the uh, family of God because it reaches people who are searching. And even um, stalwart members of the church are, are searching. Mm -hmm. And you have the ability to reach that broad audience. So you're becoming, you're fulfilling that part in what we're talk, talking about as the perfect city and who dwells in it and who's involved in it. A committed pastor is, is part of the citadel. Mm -hmm. So I've had, Tim, other moms and dads in terms of spiritual mentors, and I've mentioned uh, my one of my primary pastoral mentors is Pastor Tim in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, but I've had others as well, some of seminary professors. I've had negative examples 
uh, pastors that have showed me how not to be a minister and how to um, but this this verse concentrates on the positive uh, deposit it reminds me a little bit of Timothy and Paul where Paul entrusts this deposit of faith to Timothy who uh, uh, the, the, the best generational verse in the New Testament, I think, besides the Great Commission, is uh, 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things you've seen and heard in me, entrust, Paul says to Timothy, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's four generations. And there, there are actually uh, four generations in Psalm 78, 4 through 6, where uh, and I counted them up because that was one of the verses I, I looked at. I said, that's really cool that Paul names for um, Psalm 78 in its preface. It's a, it's a historical psalm recounting the great deeds of God in history. Um, but it emphasizes the importance of a generation yet to be born will praise God from our faithful transmission of the story as grandparents. Uh, whether that's Graham and Doc or um, my the, my great grandparents, um, uh, Ruth's mother, Alta, Alta, passing it on to your mother, my grandmother, and of course I, I grew up learning to sing hymns on the piano bench with Grandma Ruth, and um, that became one of my favorite things to do. I learned to love the music of the church on the piano bench with my grandmother who could play all the hymns in the hymn book without looking at them. Hmm. And I remember it was a sad day when when she became less able to do that. She couldn't remember or she didn't have the fingers or the eyesight to see. But she had imparted those lessons to me. And um, so much of what I've done as a parent, and I'll pass the the baton here to Noah in a minute, but is influenced and inspired by by my parents. I will also say I was determined to avoid all the mistakes that they made, <laughs> and in the process, I made a whole all bunch of mistakes. Ones. Different that mistakes make, that they didn't yeah. make. Yeah. So that's where you come in, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that you're a mistake, Noah. No, but, yeah. but you got to yeah. experience the mistakes that my parents never made with me in enjoying the successes that they they struggle with so but here, here you are yeah yeah i would say in avoidance of some of your mistakes i too have made my own mistakes um and uh it's interesting however to see how your influence as a a pastor and b as my father has uh, guided me to be you know the Christian that I am today as I was moving out to Colorado you helped me find a church and that was helpful um, I you know I can't predict the future but I, I know I know that uh, your commitment to, to God has definitely rubbed off on me and, and will be quite influential for years to come um, and you know you're I think that 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 is crucial as as living as a um, as a mini city of God, uh, an individual city of God, where um, you know 
you where where you stand as a pastor is guiding people to the uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the of the story uh, Pilgrim's Progress the, the the city in that story you're guiding people to that celestial city the celestial celestial city yeah so you know I, I definitely see that um, it, both in the aspect of you being my dad and you know you being a pastor like mm-hmm. I, I see that very clearly and it's, it's awesome to see um, and I, I I see it becoming more and more apparent in my own life mm-hmm. as well yeah yeah I, I picked a church for you or I suggested some churches mm-hmm. but you, you you had to be the one to get up on Sunday morning and drag those lazy bones out of bed yeah. and, uh, meaning not you but all of us feel lazy on, yeah. a, on a Sunday morning and and actually have the courage and, and as my mom would say the gumption to walk into a building where you know nobody and stick out your hand and say hi I'm new here yeah. could you please show me you know can I have a bulletin or can I you know what what's going on and you had to do that and you you, you had a few not so great experiences in that and it sounds yeah. like you you've settled on a, a great church at yeah. least for now and I'm really proud of you that's one thing you have passed down to me that I'm not ashamed about is is your ability to go up and greet random people uh, there's I don't I don't want to say it's a it's a story but I Oh, I it's remember a run, it's a running joke. It's a in running our family. It's a running joke in our family that on Thanksgiving Day he will meet someone random at the store and invite them over, and they'll have Thanksgiving dinner with us. Yeah, and you know I I've, I definitely feel that I've inherited or kind of gained that ability yeah. through you. So I think yeah. it's fun. So that's the that's the generations, Tim. What do you think? What what are your thoughts on this topic? Uh, I think you all, through what you shared, have um, put into practical wisdom. I think what the sons of Korah were saying: walk about Zion hmm. and number the towers mm-hmm. and consider her ramparts. And you, you said in your sermon, Phil, you know, know the church. If Zion is the church, know the church. Know the hymns. Mm-hmm. Know the Bible. Know the people in your church. Um, know how the church works. Know what mm-hmm. the church needs. Uh, and then, you know, the next verse is that you may tell the next generation. So you need to do the first thing before you can do the second thing. So getting involved practically specifically in the nitty-gritty of your local church is the task of someone who would make disciples there's no disciple making apart from the detailed knowledge and involvement in the local church that was your third premise yeah what are my responsibilities in that city Mm -hmm. and i told you the story about my first church Grant Park Baptist Church in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, tell that story again. That was good. Um, I lived. I was in that church for 11 years before we moved south to California. But in those 11 years, I developed friendships like kids do, you know, little kids. And we would have we'd have fun going into the back dark places of the church 
you know, how you got to the baptistry the way the pastor did. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and we knew the church. We could go to we could go into that church and play hide and seek, and everybody would be found <laughs> because we all knew where those places were. So we knew our church, and children should be encouraged not so much to run around not that example but children need to be encouraged to know their church and part of that is going to come from the parents part is going to come from the pastor but part is going to come from that group of people when that baby was presented to God in his baptism it's still my responsibility. Or dedication in terms of Grant Park Baptist. Right. <laughs> We're an ecumenical group here. I see there's been Baptist, Nazarene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've, we've covered the map. Yeah, um, anyway, there is, I still have a responsibility to that oath. <clears throat> and I'm not sure that we... Oath, you mean? The oath that I'm going to support this child. I see, right. As they are growing. Right. And I would guess no one... And in, oh, that's probably including me at this point. Has anything to do with a, um, a grade schooler or a teenager or a college age person who was held in the arms of the pastor and baptized? Hmm. And that is part of the next generation. And it's, but we can't just leave it to the elders and the pastor. And so people who live in the city. Um, and the responsibilities uh, you talked about oppose those who would destroy it mm. and today more than ever there's so much um, garbage and terrible things in the environment around young people we need as members of this earthly perfect city we need to step out there and be more involved mm. and I think we need to be given opportunities through the administration, uh, you know, adopt a kid for the summer or adopt a kid for Christmas and, mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things that can bring us back in touch mm -hmm. with a child that we said that we would support. So I'm going to pivot to um, some theology next in terms of like bounce passing back to you, Tim, but any more thoughts on uh, the generation to come? Noah, I'm uh, my mom, your grandmother, mentioned uh, kids these days. <laughs> I would say one of the one of the greatest shames I've I've witnessed is the the presence that college kids have in a church, and I I would I would call myself guilty of this as well, and I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. But the common stereotype is that the college kid comes in to the church, sits in the back, and then leaves after the church service. Um, and they, uh, I think that there is so much potential in the church for, for growth along those boundaries. And, and we, we have strived to do that in our RUF fellowship. Mm -hmm. But it... it it's uh, the path goes both ways, so it, it requires commitment on the on the kids these days, as you said, 
but it also requires dedication from the church to to reach out and and support these these college age kids high school middle school mm-hmm. it's it's a process that is very deep and very mm-hmm. um interesting that yeah. i i yeah. so you, excuse me you said that in your closing comments that we need to improve this city mm-hmm. and this city for us is mercy hill yeah we do i had you know pastorally i have a whole catalog of <laughs> specific things that are covered under that general exhortation uh, i will say this just as an aside in the announcement portion of our service tim i recognized one of the students of the church for his accomplishing a uh, third degree black belt mm-hmm. uh, not a particularly r- religious i mean it's not a you know, he didn't memorize First Timothy or anything like that, but it, it was my way of saying, you know, you're, A, that took a lot of work, and, and you're an important part of this this body. Um, on on the theological point of opposing the, the evil, mm-hmm. uh, what struck you about that aspect of the message that might be worth uh, discussing here? Yeah, um... I think it was a great point you made, one that has come up a few times in the Psalms, that God's enemies are our enemies. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a a challenging, at least for me, a a challenging aspect of that is the tension that I feel inside me between God's enemies are my enemies and I should be mocking them as they mock God and I should be opposing them as they oppose God and at the same time we're told to pray for our enemies hmm. by Jesus himself yeah. and so there is this um, not contradiction but a t- I, I use the word tension between well what, is that, what does that look like you know and, and I think you even alluded to you might not have gone so far as to, to put exact words to this when you brought up the point Phil but my head went to it's the holidays and I'm going to see a lot of family. I'm going to see a lot of friends whom I love, but they they don't believe the same things I believe, or they don't hold to the same faith that I hold to. Um, they're not my enemies in a way that they're my family, but they're they're they are God's enemies in a way, at least at this point in time. So, how do I? how do I navigate those waters? I'm sure that all of us and probably most of our listeners too are going to be dealing with this mm-hmm. in the next couple of weeks, you know, around family Christmas tables and yeah. parties and such. So, yeah, we, we usually discuss the sermon as a family uh, and sometimes our guests on Sunday afternoon. And that phrase that I used in the message was strong and it did elicit a lot of good discussion afterwards. There was a lot of uh, meat on that bone that, that the kids and my wife and, and some of our guests wanted to kind of chop up a little bit and, and break down. And I, uh, I think the, um, you know, the, the, the simple explanation is that this falls under the category of of imprecatory psalms, so praying for the downfall of God's enemies or rejoicing in the downfall of God's enemies. We 
we first and foremost pray that they would be converted to Christ through the gospel. We, uh, if that's not God's will at this point in their lives, or 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 if that doesn't happen, if He doesn't answer that prayer immediately, then we pray that they would be frustrated in their hindrance of the gospel, and ultimately, uh, if they are neither, if they're not converted, then we do pray that God would be glorified in their judgment. But we pray all of that under under the. I guess the canopy of God's will be done um, uh, judgment belongs to the Lord um, I don't know the mind you know with all appropriate sort of humility mm-hmm. so that's kind of the, the general answer to it mm-hmm. but I will also say the reason it needs to be said that we need to mock the enemies of God is because that's an underdeveloped truth in the church. So there's a lot of talk about loving enemies. Um, there's a lot of talk, and, and seems to me to be, a, a, it's also widely practiced that, you know, it's okay for a Christian to watch Netflix. It's okay for a Christian to have a Christmas tree. It's okay for a Christian to, to go to R-rated movies, you know, uh, to to drink alcoholic beverage, you know, we have these freedoms. At least these days, uh, the the separation from the wicked, which is clear in this psalm, isn't as these days isn't as uh, widely appreciated or understood. So that's maybe why we want to preach truths or or speak to truths, particularly in the pulpit, that are underdeveloped or being ignored or being missed. You want to fight the battle where the enemy is fighting it and not just pat the saints on the back for the things that they're doing well. So what do you, what do you think on this, Mom? Um, <clears throat> I'm thinking of the, the verse that says, if no one tells them, can you say that, whatever that verse is, um, how should they hear? So R- Romans chapter 10, where it says, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news, the gospel of peace, and and then it explains, if no one goes, how will right, they know? Right. If no one speaks, how will right. they hear? And so you made the point that we need to pray for God's advancement in the world, and that leads us to evangelism, which mm-hmm. is in, ties into verse 10. And evangelism, Tim, is a very hard thing for people. Mm-hmm. They're shy, they're busy, um, and the church needs to develop that characteristic in its members, and I don't mean just members, but in its members to be able to evangelize and to talk about the concept. And I think that the invitation that was in the bulletin this week is an excellent example of how easy it is to, with quotes, evangelize. And as soon as I saw that, I started thinking about my neighbors. Mm-hmm. You know, who could I give this to? And I think that it, the best response would be, Pastor, can I have another one? Hmm. And mm-hmm. perhaps we could say there are some extras if you've already given yours away. But 
we still have a little bit of time to really encourage people to use that card. Mm -hmm. And as we are, are, another thing that you said that we, we, we want to make Mercy Hill a Zion outpost. And to do that, we need to evangelize and we need to uh, improve this city. And one of the ways we improve our Zion outpost is through outreach and improve the city through bringing more people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Mm. And so we need more opportunities to teach, to be taught about what evangelism is and how it can be accomplished to, be, be, to help this perfect city of Zion. Um, great insights, great comments. What do you think, Noah, about um, y- you were in this discussion about mocking the enemies of God. Yeah. Uh, do you want to pick up on that? Or my mom sort of branched a little bit out into evangelism, which is related. Yeah. Uh, mocking in today's day and age is, is a harsh term. It is, you know, you, you think of you know the young kid with the fingers in his ear wagging his tongue at you know the kid but i i think there there definitely needs to be recognition in the the flaws or the idiosyncrasies of today's day and age of of society you know we celebrate christmas well what's what's the point of christmas we we go about our our day and age or you know with with the with the idea of you know Christ without Christ almost and where we stand as as Christians is we are called to point out these differences or these flaws in thinking and Yeah, I, I think that we need to to not be afraid to do that. Is point them out and help guide, you know, maybe in terms of eva- evangelism, but help guide the those people who have these flaws and show them the the truth or the the proper way of thinking. <laughs> We're looking all, at you, all Tim. All six eyes turned and looked at the same time. Yeah, it's um, it's hard, you know. My my head is swimming with um, mistakes and missed opportunities and failures on on my part. Um, I think. Um, one thing that was helpful or is helpful in the psalm to me is you know we see God's enemies trembling hmm. you know the kings um, the kings uh, verse 4 for behold the kings assembled they came on together as soon as they saw it the city that is they were astounded they were in panic they took the flight trembling took hold of them their anguish as a as of a woman in labor um, if I truly um, loved people or wanted to love them, 
I'd get them out of that position yeah. as much yes. as I could. Have you heard uh, the, the pen teller? Uh, I guess pen and teller is mm-hmm. the the magician pair, but I think it's teller, or is it pen? Teller is the, the one who prominent doesn't atheist. Speak. Uh, oh, teller doesn't speak. Well, he but historically one, one of the pair is a prominent atheist. Okay. And I, I don't remember which, but um, if as an atheist he says, I'm ashamed of Christians who say they believe in hell but never tell me about it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if it really is what they say, then that's the most important thing they should be telling yeah. me, which is kind of like um, not the pot calling the kettle black, but it's, uh, and not quite wisdom out of the mouth of babes, but it's something like what Christians need to hear from someone who supposedly is the exact kind of person we should be sharing hmm. these truths with. I. Uh, I wanted to give a, a reference to Revelation 18 on this point. Maybe we can jump to another topic mm-hmm. uh, in, from the message, Tim. But Revelation 18 talks about another great city, Babylon. And in this uh, remarkable passage of Scripture, an angel shouts, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And then we have kind of a psalm-like poetic elaboration of the downfall of this city, Babylon, which may be ancient Rome, but it certainly stands for any prominent city of man. I mentioned the the city of man in the message. The kings of the earth, verses 9 and 10, will wail over her, those who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her. The merchants of the earth Verse 11, weep and mourn for her who gained wealth from her. They will stand far far off weeping and mourning aloud. And then the appeal in uh, verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. So... There is a clear New Testament. Now it's it's in, you know, in the context of a final judgment, the final um, advent, and the manifestation of God. But here's why we rejoice: in her, in this great city, verse 24, was found the blood of the prophets and the saints. Mm-hmm. So when we see um, society at large or individuals in society taking out Christians, taking out the followers of God, undermining them, oppressing them. I did mention in the message that um, the suffering church around the world should be our concern. Mm-hmm. That's part of what I was saying. We're, we're in the same city. So when our brothers and sisters around the world are, are suffering, uh, we should grieve that uh, and not befriend the wicked but befriend the righteous and oppose the wicked I think this psalm is an excellent example of how God uses his foundational requirements for us and then so that's in in the the the, um, the ramparts and so on this is 
the, the in the visual imagery of the psalm. Right, but it really draws it down to specifically the individual yeah. and the responsibilities of the individual in this city, mm-hmm. and the responsibilities of the individual cannot be fulfilled if they are not speaking the truth to those around them, and that comes down to evangelizing. Mm-hmm. Evangelizing has so many forms. Mm. Just saying grace at the table at McDonald's at lunchtime mm-hmm. um, can start that. And there's a song, the Gaithers from those years ago, that they walk into a restaurant and they're having a meal and they see a family praying before their own meal and how touching it was but how important it was for those for, to witness the, what was going on so there are small ways that we can teach our children and ourselves to become pillars in this city mm-hmm. to make it more perfect as we approach heaven yeah and we've talked a lot about that without framing it in that aspect um but being a member of a church, being involved in a church. Hey, did you see the World Cup final? No, actually, I was I was at church. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a conversation I'm going to have multiple times this week, probably. <laughs> you know, with people I work with and my friends. Hey, did you see that game? Sorry. Right. <laughs> Caught the replays afterward, but you know, I was at, I was at church. Yeah, it's the morning. same thing. You know, why isn't your kid on the soccer team? Because they have matches on Sundays. Right. Right. I think for me it would be, hey, did you see the World Cup final? What's that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, you American. I, yeah, I know. You, I think Noah's probably a better uh, soccer fan than I am. I, I'm only a soccer fan by, you know, by proxy. Oh, I see. Okay. The very fact that you called it soccer means that. Yeah, that's, that's all you need to know. Yeah, and we we've done a. Um, Interestingly enough, we, we spend most of our conversation talking about the here and now aspects of this psalm. And, and I think every single psalm that we've done a podcast on at this point, Phil, we've talked about the already not yet aspects that we see yeah. in the psalms, yeah. right? And we've spent most of our morning talking about the already and not so much about the not yet. And mm-hmm. this psalm is very, very, very much about the not yet right. consummation. Yeah. So maybe we could go there for our, kind of our, our final topic, if you will, um, the conversation, sure. the eschatological aspect of, of the psalm. I know you had some, you, you hinted at this. I think you had a lot of this kind of uh, foundationally in your sermon, although maybe not, you know, hitting us over the head. Explicit, with, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in terms of sermon craft, I aim to embed the teaching elements within a preaching flow, if I can put it that way. I don't want the proclamation of the gospel to become, I'll say, mutated into a lecture. Because there's a time and a place for school but it's not Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We need to hear from God, from his herald. And the image is blowing a trumpet. 
and you don't blow a trumpet unless you're in a trumpet class, I guess, you know, uh, with a whiteboard and, and, and such. So proclaiming the truth. And so the, the eschatological, semi-realized, already not yet aspects of scripture tend to be more instructional in nature because they're a little bit hard to grasp. Mm -hmm. So again, sermon craft wise, how do you communicate that as you preach the gospel? Yeah. I, I did it by saying, where is the city? And by asking a simple question, uh, indirectly I taught, this is Jerusalem. Kind of like I said a couple weeks ago, this is probably Solomon, mm -hmm. but there's no way Solomon lives up to this description. So we're, we're challenged, because our heart goes there as we read, we're challenged to think, this is someone greater than Solomon, this is a city far greater than Jerusalem ever managed to be. Yeah. Here's a great quote from Voss that helped me in this. This is from his uh, Eschatology of the Old Testament. Uh, chapter 11, Mosaic Theocracy, says the future is depicted in, in the theocracy, meaning under Moses' administration. The future is depicted in terms drawn from the present earthly material reality. So as with the theocracy, so with the, I guess we'll say, the Davidic dynasty, which is kind of what this, the sons of Korah are doing here, they describe the future Jerusalem, the future Zion, in terms of an earthly Zion, but clearly we're spilling over the boundaries. You know, the, the wine is overflowing the cup. There's too much for earthly Jerusalem to contain. So we have, the, you know, some of the images of the psalm describe the knowledge of God going to the farthest bounds of the earth because of this city. That never happened with earthly Jerusalem. So uh, we're, we're forced to imagine a city where that has happened. And that's the, that city comes as the Jerusalem from above descends. And we see this fully in the New Testament described in, you know, Thessalonians in Revelation. When it descends and we have a, a global cosmic city, I think I might have used that phrase in the message. Um, yeah, you had, you had said that um, because this is a city, this is talking about an earthly city, Jerusalem. We can apply it to us now, as as we are the city, um, the New Testament city of of the church, um, and everything that we've talked about this morning in terms of evangelism and being involved in the church and kind of um, proclaiming the good news of Jesus to the next generation and even being generationally minded in that way. Um, are all of utmost importance, but at the end of the day, there is a future complete mm -hmm. city that is coming that we are a part of now and will be a part of then yeah. that even if we fail at all of those things now, not that we're striving for failure, but even if we fail at all those things now, it doesn't stop the progress or the overflow to use your, your word that you just mentioned mm -hmm. of that 
future heavenly city into into us now. Go ahead, no. Uh, it's interesting. You know, I I took a I took a class this semester that studied the the progress of Western civilization, and it was really interesting to see the importance of Jerusalem throughout the ages. I had to write a paper about um, you know how Jerusalem was you know influential in all these times, and it it gets sacked and and destroyed and overrun multiple occasions, but. Uh, I think you mentioned it in your sermon too that yes. Jerusalem yeah. is supposed to be a a, a model. It's a, a a prototype, I think you said. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because you know we see it being destroyed, we see it being overtaken and and um, becoming a, a lesser city, but uh, it's it's a model for what the the city of God, the Zion, is supposed to be like. And um, it's, it's really interesting to see you know, that, that importance. Hmm. In my notes, I coined, uh, my sermon notes preparing for, for the message, I coined a phrase, Jerusalemism. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. Or maybe I could even say Jerusalemitis, <laughs> inflammation of the Jerusalem mm-hmm. reflex. And we see this somewhat in the Crusades. Yeah. I think we see it in the uh, the secular establishment of, of Israel in 1948. Um, kind of an overwrought, overdeveloped commitment to the earthly city of Jerusalem. Yeah. Fighting over, uh, now we have a, a Muslim shrine on the Temple Mount. Yeah. You know, this is a, is a horrifying thing for an Orthodox Jew and... I'll go on record as saying, I agree, but not for the reasons that you agree. Um, The reason God gave us Jerusalem was not to establish it as as kind of the, the geographic locus that will give rise to the eschaton. Yeah. Um, that is Christ, yeah. which, which takes us to John 4. Well, um, you guys, you Jews say that it's going to be on this mountain, but we Samaritans say it's going to be on this mountain. Jesus is like, no, <laughs> it's neither mountain. Yeah. Those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. So you do have an interesting um, divestment of the physical Jerusalem by Jesus himself, and yet he he reinvests in the church. We've used outpost as a as a language, kind of expressions of Jerusalem in the local church, starting with the twelve, going into all the world and teaching them to obey all that I commanded you, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So it isn't a complete disembodiment of Jerusalem concepts, meaning ramparts, towers, physical reality, but it's definitely a transferal from uh, longitude, latitude of the the navel of the world, which is what Ezekiel calls Jerusalem in chapter 5, to multiple expressions of Jerusalem in every tribe, tongue, and nation. So when we come to church, we're experiencing the physical realities of the kingdom of God in the word and in the sacrament which we absolutely need, but we don't, we're not required to 
make sure that the doors of the church or that the pulpit of the church is pointed east towards Jerusalem, which I'm told every synagogue faces, it's built to face Jerusalem. Hmm. Yeah, in, in Acts it says, uh, it, you know, Jesus instructs the disciples to be, you know, to go out into all the world and not just uh, the the Jews or mm. not just the Gentiles, but it's it's pulling uh, the rest of the world towards this this kingdom of God, this the city of God in the future, the celestial city. The celestial yeah. city. Yeah, it's good. I, I've heard um, I've heard uh, not the word outpost so much, but embassy. So yeah. it's an ex- it's an ex- an extension of the kingdom hmm. and everyone mm-hmm. there is a on citizen foreign soil. on yeah, foreign soil great. and you have all the rights hmm. of the citizens of that country even though you're on foreign soil so I always found that helpful uh, thinking about church membership and things like that because how do you know who's a citizen and who's not a citizen well that's why we have membership, membership. so I've been I've been to the U.S. Embassy in uh, Ireland and that was really How interesting. Exciting. Yeah, because you know we walked in and they 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 gave us cokes and you know they're like, <laughs> do you want anything? And it was really interesting because you know it felt like it was built in the style of you know the the White House and that same you know style. And I felt like you know I was back in a building in Washington D.C. or something like that. So it's it's interesting that you know it's it's the mm. same concept. I like that image. Mm. I may use it. It wasn't mine. I, I, oh. I stole that from, from uh, I think it was a Nine Marks book on church membership. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was I thought it was good, yeah. a good uh, metaphor, if you will, or a good way to explain the church. So. I like. This is a little aside, but you said that you didn't know where the, Tim. You didn't know where it came from, and we've been alluding to it. That is a great example of teaching. Because we are inculcated with what we hear hmm. and what we read. And if we are a true student of the Bible and of uh, the teaching we receive, it'll come to a point where we don't know where it came from. It's just part of me. So I think that that's, that would be the goal of any student, and we are students of Scripture, just that it just comes out of us. It's just part. And so it's not a, not embarrassing to say, I don't know where that came from, but here it is. That's why we do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it gives us an excuse and an opportunity to, um, to talk about these things even more. Um, and for me, it gives me a, a, a mark on my calendar that I'm, hey, I, I know I'm going to talk to Phil and hopefully some others about the sermon. <laughs> I better pay attention yeah. to the sermon. I often re-listen to the, ser- to the sermon on Monday mornings. Thank you, Scott, for getting them posted so quickly. <laughs> um, but it's good. I mean, I, I need that kind of accountability in my life, so it's been, it's been a blessing to me, um, even this conversation this morning, to, to talk about these things and to think about them more... Um, is extremely helpful because I think if I was sitting at home 
on Saturday and I read Psalm 48, I wouldn't have had most of the thoughts yeah. right. that we've now talked about in depth and you know, will continue to run through my head for the rest of the week. Any, um, this, this is just an extension of, you know, our, our family, you know, discussions before the sermon and after the sermon. So, you know, for me, I just, I just take notes and hope that, you know, what I write down, we'll talk about in, in our, right. in our <laughs> after, be, you'll have a nugget. Yeah. In our after church <laughs> discussion. Um, so maybe no, uh, uh, we'll we'll cancel the Monday morning podcast, and I'll just mic your dinner table. <laughs> we have no, yeah. I, I, yeah, <laughs> no, I don't think that would work. It, that's come up from time to time after yeah. a particularly rich or lively debate, and um, we we usually agree. No, no, if, if this were recorded, it wouldn't have been nearly as good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Plus, there's just way too much negativity about the sermon at my table. <laughs> you guys, this is a much friendlier audience. They don't hold back. I feel like um, most weeks you, you embrace the negativity. Uh, most weeks. Yeah. I put on a, I put on a happy face while, while I'm weeping within. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else uh, we want to talk about? Before we wrap up for the day, we've we've hit a lot of we have, different topics. Yeah, we have a couple of things. I'll just throw out there for uh, reflection an- another time. I did give some thought to church architecture, and uh, while you know I, I call Jerusalemitis an, an over torqued, and I think some churches go way overboard uh, putting up. You know, four walls, aluminum siding, and a roof, and calling it a church, which actually we did for about uh, 10 years, is not ideal. And have, you know, for us as a congregation, we now have a church building. And I won't say it's the, you know, the pinnacle of American architectural brilliance, but it feels like a church. And when the, the psalm encourages us in the temple, to meditate upon his covenant love. I think this building helps us to do that in a number of ways. One, we've had people say, hey, I grew up in that church. It's so nice to see it filled again with a worshiping congregation. So that's covenantal. Uh, and I've given thought to the, the generations of pastors and faithful lay, lay people that have been in this building. But even having a tall ceiling with a large cross hanging at the at the front of the congregation, at the front of the sanctuary, I think is helpful. Um, an elevated platform from which to preach. This is biblical, Ezra, Nehemiah. So, um, the space in which and its decor matters. I think it matters. Um, but so that's w- w- one thing that we can talk about. We can we can also maybe give some um, reflection on um, low battery. Please recharge headset. <laughs> we'll take care of that in a minute. Okay. Sorry. Um, yeah. So that that was another thing that that came to mind is just the importance of space. Mm. Mm-hmm. Are you advocating for? Uh, 
a budget line item for ramparts <laughs> for a building. Well, I think we have something like flying buttresses in there. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I talk to the deacons about getting us some ramparts. Okay. It's interesting. If, if you tell me what they are, then, then maybe we can <laughs> add them. It's interesting that so many people depend on the ramparts to know that this is a church. Yeah. I, I guess I'd want to put a line item in the budget for that stained glass window behind the cross that yeah. I've talked about. There, there is so much that depends on the physical aspect of the church. I don't think I've, I've fully considered it because, you know, as a church plant, you know, I've seen the church go through many, many different forms of, of uh, buildings. Um, and living rooms. And living rooms. So, you know, I, it, it is important, and I recognize that. But I, I for me, the, I mean, the church is more than the building. Definitely. But it is an important part, for sure. Anything else, Phil? You had your note cards, so I don't I, want to cut you off. I did. I think you should probably cut me off there. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. We, we've had we've had a great discussion, and um, you know there's always the opportunity to revisit the next time you preach Psalm 48. Yeah. <laughs> but in in all seriousness, um, thanks to our guests for joining us this morning, and we hope that all of you have enjoyed being a part of our conversation as well. Um, as always, we have an open invitation for anyone who would want to join us for a podcast. Um, we'd love to have you and, and uh, live in studio with us and uh, uh, I would go so far as to say and I, I'm sure you would probably agree with me Phil but I'll, I'll give you the veto power uh, we'll have an, an, an open and standing invitation to your mom and Noah whenever they Absolutely. love to join mm -hmm. us again really enjoyed having them yeah here. you've been great conversation partners yeah. hope, hope you've in, enjoyed it as well yes Tim just Again, thanks to you for for smooching each other here in, in studio. Thanks again to you for making this possible with our fancy equipment and and uh, your ever cheerful demeanor and, and encouraging aspect. It, it means a lot. Hmm. Thanks, Phil. Happy to do it. You keep making the coffee, I'll keep making the podcast. <laughs> so That's all we have for you today. Um, please join us again next week on the, the Deeper Cut. <laughs>